Hello and welcome to the Mick Clifford Podcast with the Irish Examiner, the first pod of the new year. And we're already at the point where it's like Christmas never happened, is it? So, in the mood to check out what lies ahead for us this year, we're turning to politics today to see what is to be expected in a year that promises a fair bit of action politically. Joining me to look into her crystal ball is Irish Examiner Deputy Political Editor Elaine Lachlan. Elaine, you're very welcome and Happy New Year. And the same to you, Mick. Elaine, there's much to talk about. uh, And as usual with politics, I'd suggest it'll be the things we don't actually know or see right now that in all likelihood will dominate in the coming year. But two things that we do know which are due to occur involve an election and a unique handover of power. In May, we have the Assembly elections in the North, which could see Sinn Féin take the first minister's seat, which would be historic. And in December, another historic matter. Uh, Michal Martin is due to hand the Taoiseach's baton over to Leo Varadkar in the rotating Taoiseach arrangement. That's, of course, assuming that those two gents continue to lead their respective parties by then. So... Those two issues, first of all, uh, Elaine, um, the Assembly elections, at this stage, does it look like Sinn Féin are well positioned to take the First Minister's uh, office in May? It certainly does. And, you know, while this has been anticipated and well flagged in advance of the upcoming elections this year, it is significant and seismic in ways that for the first time in the history of Northern Ireland, that could flip from unionist to nationalist for the first time ever. And really, you have to hand it to Sinn Féin. They're doing incredibly well in Northern Ireland. But also, it's down to the DUP, because whereas the DUP would have had uh, a guaranteed supporter base previously, especially you know in previous decades, that has waned and dwindled. Um, and you see maybe young supporters who previously would have been traditional DUP supporters may be going to the Greens or the Alliance um, or even People Before Profit. Um, So that has changed significantly in Northern Ireland and really what we're anticipating um, with the next elections this year can't be underestimated really and it leads us um, on to what could happen after the next general election here where you could potentially as a result of what will happen in Northern Ireland we expect um, you could have Sinn Féin uh, both in power uh, in Northern Ireland and in the Republic as well. And perhaps Mary Lou as Taoiseach in Dublin and uh, Michelle O'Neill as First Minister in Belfast or in Northern Ireland in Stormont. So it really is something that is seismic, as I said. It is indeed. One element to it I'm just curious about, the impression I get is that, as you say, whereas Sinn Féin uh, are making advances, both in terms of politically and, I suppose, demographically, in terms of where they draw their support base from, but notwithstanding that, there seems to be a growing middle ground. And I just wonder, Elaine, does that suggest that, you know, in different circumstances, one might assume that if Sinn Féin were the major party, then the chances, for example, of a referendum on a, on a United Ireland would be brought forward pretty quickly and it would have an excellent chance of passing. But if there is that large middle ground, does it suggest that notwithstanding Sinn Féin being the biggest party and the major power, it doesn't necessarily mean that the prospect of a border poll is anyway that much nearer? 
Well, certainly if you had a First Minister in Northern Ireland and a Taoiseach in Dublin who were both from Sinn Féin, you'd imagine that the, the issue of a border poll would be progressed more rapidly uh, than is the case now. While everybody, maybe the, the main political parties in Dublin are speaking about it and talking about it and we have you know, a unit within the Department of Antishuk, the Shared Island Unit, um, really a border poll does seem a long way off at the moment. But I would imagine if... Sinn Féin have power both sides of the border, that would be their main objective and they would want to really grasp that opportunity if it came along. Um, as you said, there is a, that growing um, rump in Northern Ireland that w- mainly would be traditional DUP, but see tra- DUP now is not for them, that they are maybe too traditional in their views, especially around, you know, marriage equality um, and abortion, those type of things that we have dealt with on this side of the border. Um, But the DUP in ways are holding up in Northern Ireland and especially young voters cannot really put their support behind DUP as a result of that. And then, of course, the Brexit issue comes into it as well. Um, As we know, the DUP have taken a really strong stance on that and that maybe to their detriment while they will you know get the the really hardcore hardline supporters as as a result of that they are losing the more moderate supporters as you say one issue that arises there is if you had a general election in the south as well in terms of the current trends we could very likely have a Sinn Féin Taoiseach um, and we'll come back to Sinn Féin how they're doing in the south in a minute but in relation to that one issue that could arise is that uh, a general election might be in the offing were the current government partners to fall out. And in relation to that, will it be a tricky time coming up to this changeover of power in December when Michal Martin hands the baton to Leo Varadkar, as I say, assuming both of them are still leading their respective parties? There's a number of issues that arise there, Elaine, isn't there? There certainly is. And, and before we do uh, leave Sinn Féin as well, Mick, it's important to say that before Christmas, Mary Lou Macdonald spoke to a number of media outlets and she said that she would like to see an election. Uh, well, it was next year at that stage, but this year now. Um, so that was kind of interesting. Obviously, she doesn't have the numbers in opposition to bring down the government at the moment, but they are on tight enough figures. And if if we had some maybe controversial votes um, coming up that, uh, there were deflections from within government that could maybe change things slightly. But you're right when it comes to the the changeover of leadership that will happen at the end of this year now. Um, also interesting in Christmas interviews given by the Taoiseach, he said that he didn't anticipate a changeover, a cabinet reshuffle. Um, he kind of said chopping and changing might sound seem good or might seem like a good idea but really it achieves nothing and sometimes keeping people in positions means they can really introduce policies, enact policies and get work done. And that's what he was all about. He stressed that he is a Taoiseach that wants to get things done. On the flip side of that, we had current Taunish, the future Taoiseach, Leo Varadkar, before Christmas at his own parliamentary party meeting, putting his own ministers on notice, essentially, saying that they had a year to prove themselves and if he wasn't happy with them at the end of that year, he would be making changes. There would be a cabinet reshuffle and people would be promoted or demoted um, based on their ability and based on their track record. So we have 
you know, current leader, future deputy leader saying he doesn't want a reshuffle or certainly strongly indicating that current deputy leader, future leader saying he does. So that's even just one small thing. Just on that, Elaine, because that is very interesting. But just on that, I mean, the two major issues domestically are health and housing. And I'd suggest particularly housing. If you have a scenario, as you had, for example, in the last government where the Minister for Housing kept changing and with new plans and new personnel, all that, if you don't have a level of continuity, you'd have to wonder what the prospect is for some serious change. Yes, exactly. And it does take time to implement policies, even develop policies um, and get legislation through. That's a very good point. But on the flip side, if a minister isn't doing his or her job um, correctly or isn't, you know, uh, getting things done in the interest of the public, should their head be on on the chopping block, perhaps? Whether or not there's a change over that should be the case. Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah. and the amount of time that you allow a person to prove themselves or, or allow a person to make mistakes and not learn from those... Um, is up for interpretation and, and you can only give so many chances, I suppose, as well. So you, yeah. you'd have to agree with Leo Varadkar in some instances, but also Micheál Martin does have a point if, you're, if you continuously chop and change and take people out of portfolios and put them into others, you get very little done. Absolutely. Now, um, one of the other things that arise there in relation to that is the leadership of Fianna Fáil. And Michal Martin has stated, I think on more than one occasion, that he intends leading the party into the next election if all goes to plan, which would be another two years after the handover, I'd have to say. It's also the case that very few people believe that to be the scenario and that there will be a change of leadership in Fianna Fáil. Would you expect that a change or even a process set out for a change of leader would occur before the 15th of December next when this handover occurs? Mm-hmm. Well, at the moment, the Taoiseach does seem adamant that he will lead Fianna Fáil into the next general election, that he will become Tánaiste and will continue to lead his party after that process is completed. But at the same time, there is... Uh, a longing within Fianna Fáil that perhaps the leadership should change. Now, we did have that half-hearted attempt at, I wouldn't even call it an attempted heave, it, it didn't even get that far. Um, and That was last year. And I think that shows where Fianna Fáil is at. While there may be some disgruntled members, and we had Mark McSharry leave the Parliamentary Party, and people give out at, at the weekly private meetings of the Parliamentary Party, it doesn't seem to go beyond that. And perhaps that is because a leader or future leader has not emerged. You hear names like Jim O'Callaghan, um, even Dara Cleary at one stage was mentioned, Lisa Chambers has been mentioned, um, Michael McGrath has been mentioned, even uh, Housing Minister Dara O'Brien but no one really seems to be coming to the top um, as a potential or you know obvious leader next time round, um, and no one really has been making those type of moves either to to oust him or to say yes, I want that. Now, maybe as that date becomes closer to hand, people may start making moves behind the scenes as happened with with Enda Kenny last time around when Leo Varadkar started bringing back benchers for pints and drinks and bowling and, and all this sort of stuff to try and court them and cruise them um, into supporting him. But at the moment, the sense is that, yes, people are in, unhappy within Fianna Fáil. There's a few disgruntled members among the backbenchers. But really, 
they can't see someone who will bring them forward or who would be a good replacement, essentially, that where Fianna Fáil are at now, they really need someone strong, someone different, someone you, that would be a complete change to Micheál Martin. And if you look at the contenders, they are all nearly middle-aged men. Would they be a, a, a refresh, new face for the party? I'm not sure. And maybe that's what people are thinking when they're looking at who could take over the party. Would it be more of the same? Yeah, was Willie O'Dea there a while back? He made some comment about he looks around and he wonders where does he see the potential for a stronger, different leader. And he said something to the effect of he looks in the mirror and he doesn't see it there. He, he was humorous about it, but I mean, there was a very valid point being made. Unlike, and you mentioned Enda Kenny, unlike back then, even in the first heave against Enda Kenny around 2010, there were, you could say, potential candidates to replace him, but it's very difficult to see anybody like that in Fianna Fáil. I mean, to that extent, Elaine, do you think it's conceivable that Michal Martin could lead them into the next election? Look, a week and a day is a long time in politics and we could be doing this podcast next week um, after a heave. Uh, I certainly hope not and I don't really anticipate that. But anything can happen really and it's always the things that we don't expect and, and probably the issues that will arise that we haven't even thought about in this podcast, Mick, that will be the greatest challenges for this um, government in the coming 12 months. But at the moment, uh, certainly the the language that Michal Martin is using is that he is adamant that he will become Tánaiste and will lead his party. Now, as I said, unless there are significant moves made by a, a contender who sees himself or herself as the next leader in the next six to eight months, I don't see it, it happening. The other thing that arises is this first time we've had an arrangement like this where you've rotating Taoiseach, um, effectively a transfer of power mid-term, and... You'd have to wonder then, will people start getting antsy in Fianna Fáil after the handover? Because their profile is going to be lowered somewhat, not least because they wanted the Taoiseach and if there's a, a reshuffle in terms of cabinet uh, positions. And meanwhile, they're looking over their shoulders at uh, Sinn Féin coming hard up on the outside. And you'd have to wonder whether they'd have the stomach for going the full term with the the current government as well. Mm-hmm. And one one party that we haven't even spoken about yet, Mick, is the, the third party in government, the Greens, who have to be yeah. considered in all of this. Absolutely. Um, because as the smaller party in government, you're constantly aware that the next general election will not be as successful as the previous for you. History just tells that. It's it's almost a matter of fact at this stage. Um, and the Green Party themselves will have a number of challenges this year if and when that vote comes around CETA, the trade agreement with Canada and Europe, that will be really difficult and contentious for them. Um, and we know that one of their own TDs brought a, a court challenge against that agreement last year. So whether all of the Green Party members can stomach voting for a deal that they really don't agree with remains to be seen. Um, Green Party leader Eamon Ryan was out over Christmas saying that he would expect all members of government, including, you'd imagine, his own party members, to vote for CETA if and when it comes up for uh, for a vote in the Dáil this year. Um, So that will be difficult and potentially you could see some defections there. And again, looking to the numbers, could that spark a general election? And it may not even be 
something that happens between the two main parties, it could be the Greens that take down the government. Um, you have to be aware of that as well when we are working with this three-stool uh, government. Absolutely. And I suppose the other thing with the Greens is they're going to face some major difficulties with their coalition partners when the specifics of carbon budgets come in this year, uh, because that is not going to be very popular with a lot of people, particularly in specific sectors. The other thing I think, Elaine, about the Greens is, um, you know, and you're right in terms of small parties and coalitions, is there a possibility that that trend will be bucked on the basis of the increasing awareness of the importance of basically the burning planet and what have you? A lot of that may come down to what you just said there, the carbon budgets and how successful they are in getting those across the line. We know that before Christmas, each sector was given a a range um of how much they have to cut emissions by. And you'd imagine that probably each sector will come in at the minimum amount rather than the maximum amount. And we may not even reach the overall total that we have to. So that will be an issue um, and a significant body of work that the Greens have to get across the line for their supporters, but for the wider public as well. And obviously, as we know that Sinn Féin are against carbon taxes. It's one of their, their key pillars and they will be fighting elections on that kind of a policy. It goes directly against the Greens. So if you're a Sinn Féin voter, are you going to give your second vote to the Green Party? Or if you're a Green Party voter, are you going to give number two to Sinn Féin? So all of that has to be considered as well. Um, I would imagine, though, that if they retain the number of seats that they currently have, they probably would be happy after the next election. Some of them... Um, were in unexpected constituencies that they might not have a traditional uh, support base in. So they would have been very happy last time around. Um, but they have made achievements, even getting those carbon budgets signed off um, before last Christmas was an achievement for the Greens. And they've also been strong on social policies, the likes of um, direct provision and even that granting of a waiver for the undocumented in this country a lot of the Green Party members would say those type of initiatives would not have got across the line without us in power. Now, it's whether they can communicate that uh, sort of message to the wider public, because as we know, a lot of this is coming from the likes of Justice that has a Fine Gael minister in, in place at the moment. So it's, it's whether the messaging can be put forward to the general public and voters and, or whether it just gets lost in the mix of a general election. Yeah, and this was another initiative there that probably wouldn't have happened is I, and they're going to bring it in pretty soon is this concept of a basic income for people in the arts sector as a type of a pilot programme on universal basic income, which is a very interesting development. You'd have to say, Elaine, in terms of the Greens, since they've got in, for a party that is policy-driven, and all parties will claim to be that, but I think it's fair to say they're very much focused on that, They've done all right in terms of pursuing their um, their own agenda within government. They have certainly, um, and maybe it's unfortunate that so much of the business of government has been overshadowed by COVID as well, that some of those initiatives that may have got a bit more attention um, in other times really have been overshadowed by the pandemic, that something happens uh, if, and and nothing is is covered, if you know what I mean, uh, that journalists and the media are so focused 
because we have to be on this pandemic, um, that maybe those initiatives are not getting the attention that they deserve. Um, and that will be up to the Green Party, as I said, to try and get that message out there and um, that they are making significant policy changes as the smaller party within government. Um, I think if I was a, a policy advisor or a media advisor within the party, that's what I would be trying to, to push out this year, certainly with an election in mind. And I think again, though, this year you can't ignore COVID. We're into the, the, the second week, almost the second week in January now, and it's dictating the headlines every single week. This has been a government of COVID. This has been a parliament of the pandemic. There has been very little attention on any any other issue, um, any other problems, whether it be, you know, housing, other health care, uh, disabilities. They have had to take second place behind the pandemic. And I think this year what will happen is we will transition from just dealing with the pandemic to dealing with the aftermath. And we'll see Unfortunately, probably tens of thousands of people lose their job um, and that will be something that government will have to tackle. Um, so pressure will come on the likes of Heather Humphreys, on the likes of Finance Minister Pascal Donoghue and to a lesser extent, Public Expenditure Minister Michael McGrath because those supports that have what the government have said in some instances just kept businesses that are not feasible alive for the 18 months or, or more they will be cut, they will dwindle off and businesses will go to the wall. So I think that will be, especially in the second half of this year, will be a major focus of government. To know what's really happening, subscribe to the Irish Examiner today at irishexaminer.com forward slash subscribe. Turning to Fine Gael briefly, I suppose one small cloud on the horizon for Leo Varadkar is the, may not be small at all, may turn out to be large, is this criminal investigation into the leaking of a document that uh, he was responsible for, that he's admitted to, and it's being investigated as to whether or not a crime was committed. Within the Leinster House bubble, to put it that way, Elaine, does anybody think there's a strong possibility he may be charged? It's so difficult to determine, Mick, but I know that obviously backbenchers, while they may not be as vocal as their counterparts in Fianna Fáil in expressing frustration and anger uh, around their leader, it certainly is at the back of their mind. And I think as well, the whole Zappone affair that happened throughout the summer, not just at the end of the summer, um, that really uh, caused a lot of people to question Leo Varadkar for the first time. Because I think since he became leader of Fine Gael, there has been this unquestioned support amongst most of, of the members of, the, of Fine Gael in the Dáil for him. He has been such a significant change for the party or people view him as a significant change that they really were behind him but I think that maybe that that wholehearted support may be dwindling now and a lot of people are maybe biding their time waiting to see what happens with this investigation and maybe ready to pounce depending on what happens um there that he maybe is not the messiah that they had thought initially when he became leader um but it definitely is worth keeping an eye on it is, and it's certainly an investigation that's going on for a long time when you consider what's involved. But then having covered various investigations by the Gardaí, I don't think that's too unusual, even though I can never fully get my head around why some of these things take so long to investigate. But anyway, that is as it may. Now, quite obviously, the party since the general election has been Sinn Féin on an upward trajectory 
way out in front at the moment in terms of individual parties, in terms of their popularity, up to 10 points ahead in opinion polls of Fine Gael. Um, and it would seem also that a huge part of their uplift in support has been directly as a result of Fine Gael going in the opposite direction. Quick thing in relation to which I was very interested in, Elaine, and that was a piece that you wrote uh, earlier this week in relation to an interview with Mary Lou MacDonald and where she said to you um, that she felt the public and civil service was constipated in some way. She was pretty critical. I have to say, and fair play to you for getting the interview, but I that certainly um, that certainly grabbed me coming from the leader of Sinn Féin. Yes, it definitely did, especially when she is in a, a sphere now where she's looking towards maybe dealing directly with these people on a daily basis when she's Taoiseach, which is what the polls are certainly suggesting now. And as I said, anything can happen and a poll is only a poll. It's only a snapshot of a, a certain period of time. We've heard it all before, but certainly we know the polls are only going one way. But at the same time, while her, her comments were extremely strong and she did point out and she used that word constipated, even though she said it was a gross term to use. She said this is how she believes the system is, the public and civil service, that there is such delays in getting things across the line, whether it's in housing or in health appointment of doctors, for example, she cited. She did come back and say that there are some really excellent people working in the civil and public service. And that oh, they, she had to, <laughs> having said that, yeah. Yeah, and she did, she strongly prefaced her remarks with that remark. So while slamming the public service and and the slowness of progress in getting things or implementing change, she didn't fully go down the line of criticising them all. She gave them a little bit of a sweetener by saying, but there are extremely talented people in the public and civil service and that she recognises the effort that they've gone through, especially in the last 18 months with the pandemic. Um, so she had that little caveat in there. So perhaps when she goes into the Department of Antishuk and her party colleagues go into their various departments after potentially the next general election, she has that little line there to say, well, I did point you out as being very good as well but we need to change the system or we need to get things done quicker, um, especially around planning and, as I said, the recruitment of public and civil servants, especially in healthcare, were the two issues that she specifically mentioned. Yeah, but I think there's a, another interesting aspect to that, though, and that is, now, look, it's in a very different context, but just in terms of some uh, parallels, uh, if you look... Well, you could, <laughs> of my vintage, let me put it that way, Elaine, back to the 90s and... Uh, New Labour and Tony Blair in the UK. After a period of, I think it was about 18 years of the Conservatives, it looked like something very differently had to be done for Labour to get in. Blair comes forward with this third way and he made the same kind of noises and coming from a left-wing party to criticise the public sector in that manner, it was nearly as if he was saying, you know, um, you can trust us despite what you think, we're going to get things done efficiently. We're not just going to go in there and splash money around and, and, and increase the state without doing it efficiently, etc., all that kind of thing. I thought there were echoes of that there with Mary Lou. It was another step in that direction that Sinn Féin are taking towards reaching out to a wider 
uh, electorate and saying, look, we are responsible and we do realise there are some issues here and it's not all about what you might say, um, beautiful populism or anything. I just thought it was interesting in that respect. Yeah, and of course, if she wants to be leader of the next doll, if she wants to be Taoiseach, she knows she has to go significantly further than the traditional Sinn Féin supporter base. Um, they will probably be aiming at between 55 and 60 seats next time around. And she's admitted that she made a grave mistake in not putting enough candidates forward in every single constituency in the last election. And she even said to me, I can't go outside the gates of Leinster House without someone coming up to me and saying, why did you not put forward enough candidates? Now, if we think back, though, in the, the local elections just prior to the general election, Sinn Féin had been wiped out in, in many areas and it was a really bad election for them. So that was where I suppose Sinn Féin were at or where they thought they were at going into the last general election. Obviously, the tables had turned significantly in the interim and Sinn Féin would have got you'd imagine significantly more seats if they had the candidates to fill those seats last time round. And she is adamant that she won't make that mistake this time round, that there will be enough candidates across the country in each constituency to maximise the voter base. But as you said, Mick, she does need to change her policies. And she even said, touched on that in her interview with me. She said that no party can remain stagnant and that you have to constantly evolve um, to meet the requirements or the needs of the general public. So you may see perhaps a diluting of policies in some respects or a broadening out of policies from Sinn Féin, especially ahead of the next general election. Yeah, one area where I'd suggest, well, certainly if they have any sense, but also in terms of where they might have to go, the whole business of property taxes and carbon taxes. If you're ruling them out, and you're also saying that you want the uh, better off to pay more tax, which is entirely valid coming from a left-wing position. But if you're ruling out what effectively widening the tax base in doing so, you're heading into such serious tricky waters. And that's all apart from the mere fact that anybody who describes themselves as left-wing are environmentally aware would rule out property and carbon taxes still seems... Oh, I don't know, just way too far in terms of, of a, a kind of a populist grasp rather than having any solid sort of philosophy behind how they would, um, how they might like to govern. Uh, yeah, One, but Mick, you have to yeah. think back that a lot of promises and a lot of policies have been put forward by opposition parties ahead of an election. And then suddenly I'm thinking to, to Fine Gael when they took over from Fianna Fáil and suddenly in each department they looked at the books and things were a lot graver than they had been yeah. told or anticipated and they had to roll back on a lot of the promises that they had suggested they would implement um, pre-election. So maybe when Mary Lou Macdonald and her party look at the, the environmental books, shall we say, or open them up within their departments, they may see that they have to go for, uh, further than they have promised um, and carbon tax may be back on the table. This is me just suggesting that. Yeah, I have no yeah, idea I'd, where they go, but um, a I'd, lot of I'd promises are made ahead of elections that don't necessarily 
come to fruition. Absolutely, absolutely. And I could also see a scenario whereby they would say they're abolishing the property tax, but they're, they'd effectively just rename it or uh, bring, devise a different way to calculate it, which, look, that's grand, that's politics, but as long as they, 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 they still recognise that, irrespective of what many people think, and some people have horrendous mortgages, that it is a form of wealth, particularly at a time when r- renters are getting absolutely screwed. And on that subject, Elaine, the one big issue, as I said previously, is housing. Do you see any straws in the wind to suggest there'll be any easing of that crisis or any new direction taken in it in the year ahead? Yeah, well, I interviewed myself, actually, the Minister, uh, Darrow O'Brien, before Christmas, and he was suggesting that he's really going to focus on vacant properties in the coming year. Um, with a, 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 He suggested he's going to introduce a new grant of between twenty and 30,000 for people who want to buy vacant properties do them up and make them into their family homes. And he kind of uh, used the examples of many of our, what were beautiful towns and villages across the country in rural Ireland that are now just in a severe state of neglect and disrepair and, you know, large numbers of units in those towns that would have been family homes traditionally or maybe even shops with a family living above them and they're now vacant. Um, So he really wants to bring those type of units back into uh, use. Now, that's only one element and that's not going to solve the housing crisis, but it might solve a bit a wider issue. It might, you know, the decay of rural Ireland, which also needs to be tackled. And I know our own paper has been focusing on on dereliction uh, a lot in the past year. But you would imagine that the levels of house building would have to ramp up significantly given that they have been stunted by uh, COVID in the past two years as well to make any sort of a dint in the numbers. Um, now, thankfully, there's not as enough uh, or as many people in hotels. I shouldn't be seeing this as a positive. This is this is the stage we're at in the homeless crisis that people are, are now going into and families are now going into homeless hubs as opposed to hotels. Is that an improvement? Probably in a minor improvement, but I think the problem of housing, homelessness, rental crisis is unfortunately going to be with us for many years to come. And even if you look at the the likes of Daft and auctioneers' bodies, they're all predicting an increase um, in property prices in the coming year on top of the increases that we had last year. Yeah, and I, I saw that actually, that interview you had with Darrell O'Brien, and I was taken with his offer of the grant. But I have to say, unfortunately, and I hope to God I'm wrong, uh, and I agree with you, the whole issue of derelict towns is an absolute scandal. And not only that, the potential that's there is enormous. But I just wonder whether, well, first of all, whether his heart is in it. And secondly, whether merely putting forward the idea of a grant is going to make that much of a difference. I think it needs a hell of a lot more elbow grease, but is definitely something, as you say, it, 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 it's no silver bullet for the housing crisis, but it would certainly show a different direction in terms of society in general, the way things are, and it might do some bit of good on the margins. But look, we'll have to wait and see for that. Yeah, and Elaine, the devil will be in the detail in that as well, Mick, because yeah. if you look at the first time buyer's grant that has been in for a good few years now, a person automatically gets that if they buy a new home. So if you have to apply for this new grant and you may or may not get it, um, will that really help the situation? You know, it, it would have to be something that you would know buying a secondhand derelict property that you're guaranteed that you could factor into 
the price of refurbishment um, that, that you get it, not just something that you might be able to apply for and you might get after you purchase. Um, so as I said, the details of that scheme remain to be seen and I think the devil will be in the details. It will indeed. And I suppose in the bigger picture, Elaine, we're talking about some changes, some more of the same. Bit of this and a bit of that. Elaine, thank you very much. Elaine Lachlan, Deputy Political Irish Examiner, thank you very much for joining us on this week's podcast. I'd also like to thank our engineer, JJ Vernon. Thank you for listening. Take it handy and keep going. We'll, we'll get this new year underway pretty soon, one way or the other. Good luck.